content warning. This episode of As It Comes, Life from a Musician's Point of View, features some talk about depression, binge eating, and suicide. Hello, and welcome to As It Comes, Life from a Musician's Point of View. I'm Davina, I'm a cellist based in London, and I've experienced some changes in the last month or so. You may or may not be aware that I've started a new job recently. I'm now the online editor at The Strad magazine. And if you don't know, The Strad is a magazine for string players. What? I found myself realizing that a lot of the job requirements were things that I've been doing all the time with this podcast. So transferring those skills over in combination with using my existing knowledge of being a string player seemed like a good thing to go for. Well, I got the job, didn't I? (laughs) And I'm super pleased, especially to be able to put my podcasting skills to good use. In a month, we've already set up the Strad podcast, which is super exciting. Go check it out if you haven't already. But it feels really satisfying to be able to use these skills in a professional sense. But as you can imagine, having a new job brings with it plenty of things that you cannot predict. Hashtag music college didn't prepare me. Especially given that I've not been doing much for about 15 months. I mean, there was a certain pace of life pre-pandemic that disappeared when the lockdown was imposed. And I have to say, I quite enjoyed that change of pace. I started growing vegetables. So you won't be surprised that starting a new job in which I have to do things all day, every day, was a bit of a shock to the system. Stamina and endurance are like muscles. You have to exercise them regularly, otherwise they deteriorate. After my first day at the Strad, I got home and lay motionless on my bed for about 30 minutes. I felt like I was going to vomit constantly for the first week or so. Grim. But as I've eased into the job, the muscles of stamina and endurance have been duly exercised, and I feel less like I'm going to vomit constantly, rather excited to think about how I can be creative in my role. So it feels funny not introducing myself as freelance cellist at the top of the episode. I will still be playing, though in a smaller capacity than before. But I'm not getting rid of cellist completely, because I've been playing the instrument for 26 years of my life. It informs so much of what I do. It's a part of my identity. But I think it's worth remembering that we have various aspects of our identities and they manifest in unique ways. My guest for this episode has a lot to say about identity. I had this chat shortly before I started at the Strad with George Wakeley, aka Confidential. He started his musical journey playing guitar and now he's a solo artist producing lo-fi hip-hop beats. You'll hear about this, plus his struggles with his mental health pertaining to grief, postnatal depression and his perceived loss of identity. Have a listen to my chat with George. George, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. So just for context, we're chatting in the middle of June 2021 and summer is in the air. You're based in Brighton. I am based in Brighton. Absolutely. Nice place to be at this time of year. So 
Tell me, how has your, I feel like I'm asking you this question as if we're coming out of Christmas or a holiday or something, but how's your pandemic been for you? How are you feeling at this time of year specifically? <laughs> well, actually, I can wholeheartedly say that um, I'm feeling the best that I've felt in about over two years, really. So um, this pandemic has been a bit of an odd experience, um, you know, for everybody as well as myself, but um, it gave me a real opportunity to reevaluate a lot of parts about my life and I actually started being a solo artist of being confidential during the pandemic last year so in around about March 2020 uh, so obviously we had the first lockdown and all the play parks were shut and we had a uh, an 18 month old toddler who's got all this pent-up energy inside him he couldn't let it out we were stuck inside and it was really really difficult for him I was at possibly the lowest point of my life, I would argue, as well. And so it put a, a large strain on myself, on my wife, and mm. things were really, really difficult. But um, from out of all that, I managed to create something great and, and becoming confidential has been amazing. So, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the best that I've been. It's been really great. It's very heartening to hear, especially after the wild 15 months that obviously everyone has been having. But I am feeling heartened by the fact that I've been talking to more and more people who are, are feeling more comfortable in their own skin, finding new aspects of their life that they weren't aware of before pre-pandemic. I'll just introduce you a little bit uh, to people who aren't familiar with you or your work. So as you mentioned earlier, obviously your real name is George, but you go by your solo artist name, which is Confidential, creating lo-fi hip-hop beats. Tell me a little bit about your musical journey, you know, before the pandemic. Obviously, you got to a point in March 2020 where you felt super low during lockdown. Tell me about how you came about becoming a solo artist, first of all. From the musical side of things, I guess it was always destined that I'd do something within the arts. Um, I come from a family of visual artists. Uh, my dad's like a photo illustrator, my mum's an illustrator, my brother's an animator. Somehow I missed out on that gene somewhere. So when I'm drawing like animals, it's always like stick animals. <laughs> but uh, but I ended up doing um, uh, like audio arts instead, which is really great. Mm. I remember when I was 12 years old and my mum showed me this old British comedy series called The Young Ones, where oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like Rick, Rick Mayle, Adrian Evanson, all those kinds of actors. And um, there was one episode where they, they're walking to the pub and it goes between scenes of them walking and this band Madness playing um, House of Fun in, in the pub. And they had bands on most of the episodes and I really liked what I was hearing, bands like um, Dexys Midnight Runners, Motorhead, Rip Brig and Panic, but... I was just so floored by what I heard with Madness yeah. that at that moment I just decided I, I want to play guitar. I loved what the guitarist was doing. I loved the sound of the music. I'd never heard anything like it before in my life. All I'd ever really heard at that point was some um, stuff on the radio, really. Mm. And I was uh, too immature, really, to appreciate what was going on there. When I told my parents like about this band that I'd discovered on the young ones they were like yeah yeah we know them yeah um check this out they load up spotify and um put on like baggy trousers and embarrassment songs like that and i just couldn't believe it i that was all i listened to yeah. it was um just so amazing for me begging my parents for a guitar eventually they realized this wasn't going to be a five minute wonder so after getting me a guitar they sent me to this like weekend classical music school it started out as just being like a morning and then half a day and then uh, eventually it was like four days and I was suspended like most of my weekends there uh, there was a lot of focus on the baroque era of classical guitar 
uh, we weren't supposed to, but we did quite a lot of heavy metal as well. So I just happened to be getting into heavy metal at this point when I was about 13, 14. And my teacher and I were both um, really big fans of bands like uh, Iron Maiden and Lamb of God. So we were there on our like nylon string acoustic guitars playing <laughs> thrash metal, which was sounds absolutely brilliant. But it, and it was a really great way to learn those songs because um, electric guitar, really thin neck and the, the frets are designed to be played fast. Whereas yeah. nylon string and classical guitar have wide necks and um, really difficult to play. So that was a really great learning experience for me. After that, I went to the Sam Newsom Music College which was one of the top places in Lincolnshire. And that was a really great experience for me because uh, the tutors were from both the classical and contemporary music worlds. So I had a bit of everything and they were all active within the industry as well. Um, one of the tutors that I latched onto quite a bit was somebody who regularly taught places like Holland and Belgium playing in guitar orchestras. That was around about the time I was studying for like grade eight um, classical guitar performance. It was during that time that I became quite disillusioned with the classical scene, unfortunately. I look back on it and kind of wonder what could have been now, now that I'm a bit older. But um, I wanted to play pieces in my own way, but people would come up to me after recitals and say oh, I was dressed wrong or I was not playing true to, to Bach and, and composers like that especially. And I just decided, like, look, if I, you know, if I want to play music, I want to do it in my own way and I want to be on my terms. And I was most interested as well in composing. And somebody told me that uh, in order to make a living out of composing music, you really have to be an A-list writer, which doesn't happen until you're in your late 30s. So I've still got like 10, 15 years to go until I get to that point. <laughs> so instead of going to a classical university, I went to British and Irish Modern Music Institute, uh, or BIM for short, a lot of people know it as, which yeah. was... Um, pretty much pure 1900 onwards um, pop music. So we studied loads of different genres from like Texas Shuffle Blues, and reggae, and uh, later I get into talking about hip hop a bit. And I will admit though, that in my final solo performance exam, I played William Walton's Five Bag of Tells. Oh, so. <laughs> so you were going back to the classical side of things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, st- I still kept playing classical. I loved yeah. it. I still really wanted to do it. I just wasn't as interested in doing all the recitals yeah and then during my first year of studying at BIM again studying all these different genres of music and hip-hop happened to be one of them the class let out this collective groan and the tutor was like no this is going to be really cool you're gonna you're gonna have your minds blown and sure enough I did he put on this video of uh, this band called The Roots playing a song called You Got Me on the Jules Holland show and this was in 1999 um, when they did this performance and it was just like when I was 12 years old again, listening to Madness playing House of Fun that very first time, my jaw hit the floor. I just couldn't believe the musicianship, the story, the message that was being given in this track. Because when people hear hip hop or rap music, the phrase, like the, the words, you instantly think about like gangsters and violence and that kind of thing. But actually, it's big bases in philosophy. Yeah, it's poetry. I think that's what a lot of people forget. If you listen to like lots of old school hip hop things, like, for example, Jurassic Five. And yeah. you can you can follow a storyline really, really easily if you're just listening. I think because rap hip hop is a very, very wide genre, of course, you're going to get some things that you don't like or have a bad yeah. reputation. But they're also going to be things that do speak to you personally absolutely yeah one of my favorite classical pieces is um by a composer called uh, francisco torrega it's called legrima which is about when he was um playing recitals in in england and he really missed his family somebody kind of twigged what was going on and told him to write something about it and so it's it's about missing his family back home in spain yeah and this song you got me by the roots that's exactly the same thing it's about missing your family and your friends when you're on tour so there's no yeah. there's no real difference and even if you look at back at 
Greek philosophers like Socrates, for example, he was arrested for perverting the youth. He was just stood on the streets of Athens and in Greece, talking about life on the streets in Greece and what life was all about. That's what hip hop is. It's about, at least in the American terms, it's about life living in the Bronx, in Brooklyn, in yeah. places like that, Harlem. And so the earliest hip hop artists are poets, like The Last Poets, where they just had like maybe a little bit of drums and would just rhyme and rap yeah. over just a drum beat. Socrates was the original hip hop artist, is what you Exactly. Saying. I have made that uh, <laughs> argument to somebody before, which I think is brilliant. <laughs> I love it. No, that's great. But I really liked hearing about your journey, about how you've taken influences from lots of different genres, because I think it can be quite easy for a lot of classical musicians to really focus in on, on that one discipline and have very, very deep knowledge and understanding of that one thing. But it's really, really fascinating to see how many parallels there are between different disciplines of music I'm just reminded by a video that I saw um, I think it was on the classic FM Facebook page yesterday but it was a really fantastic encore video done by a violinist and a cellist and they started out playing the Handel Halverson Passacaglia for violin okay. and cello and then while the violinist was doing a solo the cellist put on like an 80s hair metal wig <laughs> that sounds brilliant. I love the sound of that. And then it just turned into Metallica's Enter Sandman. It was absolutely incredible. It's the same kind of theatrical drama of doing a guitar solo, but on cello or on violin. And the energy, the drive, the rhythm of the bass lines, they still had it, but it was on the concert hall stage, you know, completely different. That's amazing. But yeah, you should check that out. I feel like you'd really, you'd really love that. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. That, that's very much up my street. That sounds great. That, yeah. That's so brilliant. I mean, that's what I love about this era that we're in. I call it the content era, the era of content where people are just putting out so much stuff. We've got all these platforms like Spotify and we've got YouTube and all those places where people are able to easily distribute great content. And there are YouTube channels out there where they do really, really famous pieces of music in different styles like um, recently I heard one where they were doing um, this track Rolling by Limp Biscuit, which is like a, a heavy metal track they did it in a country style and it sounded quite a bit like Rawhide the TV tune theme tune uh, Rawhide yeah. but it was so brilliant and it worked it sounded great man yeah it's, it's interesting it, it just makes you think about the fundamental compositional foundations of a piece you know it's music but the delivery changes the way that you deliver it can really play a part in that Absolutely. Yeah. I'm reminded, actually, I love listening to 8-bit tune tracks from, like, video games. <laughs> yeah. But, like, there's so many fantastic renditions. You know, you hear the original 8-bit version of something from the original Nintendo NES, and then you hear orchestrated, and you're like, well, this is really complex, like, beautiful classical harmony. When you hear it in real orchestration, you're like, wow, these composers back in the 80s were ahead of their time, you know? Or at least very much had a grounding in traditional compositional methods. Absolutely. I think there's definitely a shift going on in the music industry right now where things like what's called bedroom pop and, of course, um, lo-fi lo music, where it's, as the name expresses, people recording in their bedrooms. And um, it's quite low fidelity, low quality in terms of recording, although you can perfectly hear everything really re really well actually so it's not really as low as lo-fi as people make it out to be it strips away this polish and you get right down to the core what is a good song mm -hmm. and you can't hide 
behind a bad chorus, you can't hide behind bad verses, bad lyricism, or musicianship. When it's low fidelity, you, you're you're really, really not hiding behind anything. Your songwriting and your, your performance has to be absolutely top-notch. Whereas I think in times of excess, particularly the 80s, there's uh, that uh, Def Leppard album. I can't remember what it's called, but it's got Pour Some Sugar Me On Me as one of the tracks. And um, they recorded every single note individually for oh. that album. And they would record one note, retune record another note retune and that's great but it kind of masks a lot of like musicianship and and songwriting quality what a faff as well i mean like i feel like (laughs) well i mean i've heard that song i clearly remember the video and also because the drummer from Def Leppard's got one arm, doesn't he? I've heard that before, yeah. yeah I, think he, I think he does, and it's absolutely incredible. But I never thought, listening to that song, that it was done note by note, which was probably a testament to the sound engineers that they had available. But also, I feel like it loses that sense of continuity and spontaneity that you get from yeah. doing something all in one go. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think you can get rid of kind of like the experimental mindset as well. Um, yeah. I mean, the first ever example of distortion in a recording was in the 1930s, I think it was, where they'd accidentally dropped a speaker out of the back of like some a vehicle, I think it was. And uh, the, the speaker got uh, cut up in the in the tumble and still recorded with it. First ever time with distortion. And I love it's, that. Um, just experimenting. And Jimi Hendrix, you know, being a guitarist obviously i have to look up to him he's had so much influence because he had such an experimental nature where one time you know i've got my headphones on right now talking to you and he uh, couldn't hear what the sound engineer was saying so he lifted up one of his headphones feedback happened and he said that sounds great let's put that in the recording yeah yeah and it features a lot in his music doesn't it yeah there's a lot to be said about that experimenting i feel like you know, you mentioned being younger and listening to new music and being super excited. I remember being at that age where every time I sat down with my instrument or an instrument, I felt like I was learning something new. And that was yeah. a really, really exciting time for me. And it was really great when I went to BIM because I was with people from all kinds of different cultures, interests, the international students coming over to study there. And um, some really wanted to um, invest their time into jazz or rock, metal, um, blues, that kind of stuff. And it was very, very humbling experience for me. And also it, I always learn better this way when I just sort of turned up to lesson and just basically got my butt kicked every single time I turned up to a lesson because everybody specialized in something and so you were rarely ever the best whenever it was um like finger picking or acoustic style stuff i usually stood out then but when it was a lot more like the rock stuff it was really difficult for me mm-hmm. and also they're giving out music in tablature whereas i was i've changed notation all my life so that was really difficult even yeah. though it's supposed to be an easy way of reading music yeah you're like i'm sorry i learned to play heavy metal <laughs> on a nylon string wide neck guitar don't <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was such a such a shock for me. Yeah. But I, I had absolute time in my life. From that, I mean, you've mentioned to me that you've had struggles with your mental health and that becoming confidential, as your solo artist name, has helped you be in the best place that you've been for a very, very long time. Tell me a little bit about what happened in your musical journey. What sort of happened um, in terms of reaching those lows that you had to come out of? A lot of it kind of goes back to childhood, even before music, really, where there are a lot of pressures on you, especially as a 
I was a boy, I still identify as male, and there was a constant pressure for like emotions are weak, depression isn't real, that kind of thing. And I was always told that I was being dramatic or silly whenever I kind of asked for help. And sometimes if you hear something enough times uh, from enough people, you, you start to believe it. So being told by, you know, even people of authority, like teachers and, and, and stuff like that, that I was useless, would never amount to anything. It really takes a toll on you. Music was a really good escape for me. But being a classical musician, I was very self-reliant. And that becomes quite important later on in my story, where I would basically hide away when everybody else was playing football or whatever during the like lunch breaks. We had some really small music practice rooms, so I managed to get it down where I was um, able to pretty much get a piece down uh, uh, really well in a day. I would occasionally skip a few lessons, potentially. Um, <laughs> sorry, mum. <laughs> but... For me, music was all I ever really knew. So I started playing guitar at 12. I was doing recitals by the time I was 14. I did my first tour with my first band when I was 16. Then when I was at university, I I was playing in a hip-hop band. And we were on the verge of signing a management deal with a company called AEC Music. Um, So we we were kind of really starting to, to make moves in our careers. And um, unfortunately, things just sort of started to implode within the band. Our lead vocalist, he was either not turning up to gigs or he was turning up drunk. And Mm -hmm. it just really wasn't going that great. So April 2019, I quit that band. Um, I just said, I've had enough. I'm I'm done. And in that very moment, that's when I lost my identity completely. Because outside of family, that was all I was doing with my life. That's all I wanted to do. Um, I'd stopped doing session work with other bands and stopped uh, doing songwriting for artists I, I was just focusing purely on this one band uh, I was writing doing all the songwriting I was writing every single night I was doing all the marketing so it's myself who were getting all these management deals and things like that coming forward and so that was a huge hit to me um, to lose all of that in just one moment on the very same day that I quit that band a really close family member to me um, had a heart attack and so I thought they they were going to be gone and I think maybe everything just came, became a bit too much for me so I started having my own health issues as well I basically had flu for about three or four months just non-stop I tried setting up a new project trying to do something new but I kept getting let down by other musicians constantly and that's when you start having doubts after a while um you start thinking like what's the point what's going on is it just me you start questioning yourself and so I went months without even touching my guitars and I stopped songwriting and I was just just in a really really dark place so you know music was really all I knew by this point I'd already um had my son my son was born at the end of 2018 and I had been struggling a little bit with postnatal depression at that point but um the loss of identity and that crisis of identity really kicked the depression into overdrive for me so I'd be spending weekends barely even able to get out of bed and mm. I was struggling to form any kind of connection with my son it was it was really really dark and my wife I'm so grateful to have her in my life she she really took a lot on and just um, was so supportive through the whole thing the way that some people cope with depression some people will turn to drink drugs they might self-harm and for me I used food to abuse myself it wasn't even a comfort thing though I just binge ate every day for two months straight I hid it from everybody and it it was just my way of abusing myself and trigger warning here for anybody listening I I was starting to make plans to to end my life as well at that point it was just coming to the end and just felt so hopeless I decided that I plucked up the courage to speak to my wife I told her about all the binge eating she was really really supportive Um, we made some changes to my life but the biggest thing was actually getting guitar lessons again 
my old guitar teacher at the classical music school that I was doing from age 12, he's one of my best friends. And I just asked him, like, look, I'm not doing so well, mate. Can I have some guitar lessons? And he, he said, yes, of course. And I think we were both really relieved when I made that contact with him. And it was during those lessons that I started making lo-fi beats. And that's how Confidential was born. So I've got Christian Music Makers definitely to thank for <laughs> getting me started. Him and my wife, big reasons why I'm still still alive today. Yeah. And I started making the releases. And at first, it was just to sort of prove something to myself of that it wasn't me that was the issue in the past year and that I could do it. I could release music. It made me feel so much better because I managed to get an identity again. Mm. You know, I am confidential. This is my story. I went from being the guitarist who needs a band behind him to being a self-reliant solo artist who's able to do something. And so for me, this year I decided I wanted to take the music a lot more seriously because I had so many people getting into contact with me telling me, how they'd heard my music and how great they thought it was. And recently I celebrated a quarter of a million streams on Spotify alone. It's been less than a year. I just couldn't believe it. Mm. So I'm, I'm hoping to be able to kind of spread a bit of awareness about mental health and get the conversation started, break yeah. the taboo. And, you know, if I can even help just one person, that would mean so much to me. You are helping many people, I'm sure. Just listening to what you have to say, it sounds like during that time when you were really struggling, you didn't quite have anyone to really turn to until you sort of talked to your wife and you spoke to your guitar teacher. When you're in that really desolate pit where you feel like you can't go on and you feel like it's the end, how do you get to that point where you feel like you're able to speak about it? When you're in those really low points of depression, you have very small windows where you don't feel quite as bad as the worst moments so you have those moments those times which is the majority of the time where you just barely even get out of bed mm. those times really are horrible but then there are the occasional times where you are able to get out of bed it's maybe you just got that slight little bit of strength the one percent of strength where you think to yourself maybe i can get out of bed today and it's so important to be able to take advantage of those moments yeah i'm one of the really lucky people in this world who who has some kind of support network around them where my wife was very encouraging of like you know if you think you can then then get out of bed come on let's you know, stand up let's do something yeah. that gave me just that tiny little bit of strength that i needed to say something to say i need help i need you right now it's really really wonderful to hear that story and hear about how music has saved your life because I feel like we all need these things in our lives to look forward to and to, to help us get out of bed, to have reasons to keep living, you know, whether it be music making or gardening or whatever efforts you choose to channel into. That's exactly it. What advice would you give to people who are struggling now, now that we're sort of on the tail end, fingers crossed, of this pandemic, <laughs> hopefully coming back into live performance, but obviously things are not going to be the same as they were pre-pandemic. What sort of advice would you give to those people who are perhaps in that low point at the moment? Well, anybody listening to this in their low point, Unfortunately, I'll start with the slightly bad side is that there's no grand narrative. There is yes. no single answer that will help everybody, no one-size-fits-all option. But on the positive side of that, it means that if somebody tells you this helped me get out of my depression and it doesn't work for you, that's okay. 
that really is okay. I personally, I, I tried uh, medicating it, uh, sort of prescribed antidepressants. Um, that works for um, people that I know. But for me, I tried to, a fair few different antidepressants and they just, they ended up actually making things worse. I got counselling which helps me to understand a lot about myself. It's stuff that I probably should have been taught as um, uh, when I was a child, mm. really, because w- when I was at school and I felt certain ways, I didn't really understand what was going on or why I felt a certain way. So um, having counselling and therapy helped me to make those connections and understand emotions a lot better. And it's something that I, I still have today, having counselling. But I also found that I think everybody does need to put in a little bit of work themselves you know even in the counseling you have to obviously contribute for me what happened was I ended up going back to my roots with the guitar lessons and then I reinvented myself you know going from guitarist who needed a band being a self-reliant solo artist and it's a bit like those you know Rocky and Creed films where they <laughs> kind of go back to their roots and where they started and to kind of reignite like the fire in their belly kind of thing yeah. and that's what saved my life because I do try and collaborate with other artists at the minute uh, I get let down a lot but it makes no difference to me whatsoever if they let me down or not and that's the big difference that I can sort of bounce back it doesn't affect me yeah I think for you because you're in control of your own creative project you know you have that and at least you know that that's that's your thing that's your main thing isn't yeah. it yeah yeah exactly yeah it's, it's my identity and so I see this thing a lot with friends who they've had their struggles with the depression before and they can say you know going to the gym eating a healthy diet that all helps I'm sure but what they also did and maybe didn't realize is that they discovered a new passion you know whether it be for for exercise or cooking nutrition whatever it be and so for anybody who is struggling with depression right now my advice is think about what you had a real passion for when you were younger and stopped doing for whatever reason and consider trying to get back into it whether it be on a really small scale or you know you're you're a bit of an all or nothing kind of person like me and just sort of going for it give yourself something to look forward to each week just wait for that moment where you have the tiny one percent of strength and then try and just say I need help. I need, I need to do something and try and set something up. And if you're not sure on what that thing might be, maybe you didn't really have much, you're unable to pursue a passion you had as a child or whatever, there's no harm in trying something new. So if you need any ideas, I would actually recommend, yeah, music is a really good one because it's a form of expression or even a martial art. There are some amazing health benefits associated with martial arts. Meditation is a big part of martial arts. So it's not all about sweat and exercise. Even the exercise part, getting your heart rate up a little bit even can help release some endorphins. And it's not just for like the really, really fit and healthy. I mean, I can see somebody like Ip Chun, who's 96 years old. He's a practicer of Wing Chun and he's still practicing it. It's a huge inspiration to me. And there's a lot of focus for um, for older people or people who aren't in um, the best physical shape, let's say, with um, things like fluid motion, um, which you see in like Bruce Lee films and stuff yeah. like that. It's it's more about the fluid motion and uh, and stuff like that rather than like fighting or getting your heart rate up. It's the mindfulness aspect of it, isn't it? Yeah, Being exactly. really, really aware. You know, it's, it reminds me a little bit of what we said before about just using that little 1% just to make that effort into the next thing and no matter what percent you have when you're practicing these sort of forms of mindfulness you're just thinking about how the current motion is connecting to the next one and how that leads on and so it's sort of like a very slow way of looking forward being in the moment
you mentioned really briefly in your childhood. Sorry if this sounds like one of your counselling sessions, but I hope that's okay. <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> but fine. But as that's we fine. know, it's good to talk about these things. <laughs> but um, going, going back to your childhood, and you mentioned, you know, you're male, you identify as male, and with that comes a lot of pressures. And I'd say that a lot of listeners of this podcast would be aware of what we're talking about. The pressures on males and how to act in a certain way, which emotions you should and shouldn't show, things like this. And you mentioned also that you're a father. So what sort of measures are you taking now that you're a father, bringing up a son into this world to ensure that he doesn't go through necessarily the same experience as you? I think I just want to be open with him about what I've been through and that it's okay. I actually had a conversation with my wife last night about this, this podcast. So, uh, and she said, look, are you going to, you know, this is going to be in the public domain. Are you okay with people knowing about your, you know, your, your plans for suicide and how you felt? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Are you okay with, with our son knowing about this and potentially hearing this later in his life? Yeah, I want him to hear it. Mm. I really meant that because I think my dad was, um, had a bit of a military upbringing. So it was very quite, quite Sergeant Major, quite tough exterior kind of thing. You know, uh, emotion is weakness, all that, all that stuff. So I don't really want to do it that way. That's just, that's just my, my approach to how I I want to parent my son. But I think that's very healthy, isn't it? It's just ensuring that boys growing up now know that it's okay to ask for help. I became aware of this when I went back home to New Zealand a few years ago um, to visit my family. And I've got two young nephews. I went with my mum to go and pick them up from their nursery. And I was really, really heartened to see that my nephew, I can't remember what he was doing. Let's say he was crawling up onto the couch or something. Couldn't quite make it. But I was very happy to see him say very clearly, I need help. And then someone would come along and just pick him up and help him go to where he needs to go. Because I feel like with a lot of boys, those words wouldn't come out of their mouth, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we, we, we want our son to be able to ask for help, which he does do. Absolutely. We help him to sort of be able to look after himself. So if he wants help to get up somewhere, we'll kind of explain him how to do it and move and help move his limbs in such a way so that he's able to do it unless it's really really high it's it's that kind of becoming self-sufficient it's the idea of that and just one wanting him to be okay with the idea of like you know boys do cry boys can cry and he can yeah. you know I'm, I'm saying he's he's a son he's yeah we, we've asked him but obviously he's um he's two and a half so his his understanding of things like gender is very very limited mm-hmm. um but you know if he wants to you know if he identifies as as a different gender when he grows up then that's absolutely fine like yeah. it's okay and it's uh, we live in brighton obviously we're really really big you know l- lots of different communities here uh, different um cultures and um, people from different backgrounds and so we want him to to grow up and to respect people's different cultures and, and um, experiences backgrounds etc i spent a large part of my time growing up in lincolnshire which was um very predominantly white voted UKIP so uh, kind of kind of area um I think the headquarters was like in the Boston Sickness constituency actually so yeah I'm trying try not to show any like political leanings but um obviously I moved away from away from there for uh, you know several reasons but um like I didn't ex- get exposed to many different cultures when I was living there it was very very British and there was a lot of Eastern European communities there they were met with a lot of xenophobia i think it is right. from, from the oh, british man. community you're showing the benefits of being open and honest which can only lead to good things 
Yeah, 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 definitely. I look forward to hearing more about your parenthood journey in the future. <laughs> so we'll have, to, we'll have to catch up again and see how your son's getting on. Oh, I would love to. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> So as you may or may not know, in my podcast, I have a segment called the wild card question round, where you have the chance to choose what I ask you next based on three choices that I present you. So you can choose one of these topics and there'll be a question that follows. Favorite gigs, finish the sentence and non-musical pursuits. Oh, let's go for non-musical pursuits. Why not? (laughs) Great. If you weren't a musician, I know we've talked a lot about being a musician being tied up in your identity, but if you weren't a musician, what would you be? See, this is my easy bailout question. Um, my dad had always kind of raised my brother and I to try and be pro motocross racers when we were younger. So what? before I was doing music, it was uh, motocross. So obviously knowing that you're from, we're from New Zealand, some of my motocross heroes come from New Zealand, actually. So people like Ben, ben Townley and Cody Cooper. Um, really, really great motocross races, both of them when you're shrugging your shoulders. That's okay. Right, That's okay. sorry, I don't know who they are. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. I don't, I don't know if it's the biggest sport over there, to be honest. It's not the biggest sport in the UK either. No, I absolutely loved riding dirt bikes. I'm a huge adrenaline junkie. Absolutely love just going fast, breaking as late as I can, going to a corner and absolutely scaring myself. Absolutely love riding dirt bikes. It makes you realise you're alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely it's an amazing adrenaline rush especially when like you're um going around a corner flat out and you slightly lose traction ever so slightly it's um such a good spike oh thrilling i mean i i wish i could say i was into that kind of stuff but i have a slight phobia of being on a bike let alone like a motocross bike i just had a very traumatic experience when i was 10 years old i was riding <laughs> down a hill and i lost control of my bike and i i went flying and landed on my back on a pile of gravel because i neighbors across the road were just redoing their driveway so they had all this a pile of gravel just lying there and um that's where i landed that is brutal i mean i very nearly um lost the use of my left hand which playing guitar because i'm right-handed is my fretting hand the important one i almost lost the use of my left hand in i want to say 2010 i think it was and it was my mom's birthday as well so uh, happy birthday mum you got to take me to a and e but um (laughs) yeah i was paralyzed for a month and no feeling no movement no nothing it all started to come back I still feel that injury to this very day. I've got limited feeling and a little bit of limited movement in my left hand, but it doesn't impede my playing, yeah. that, at least that I can tell. But that was that was nearly it for me. And that was September, I think it was. Uh, it wasn't 2010, it was later than that. But um, I had my audition for university in February. So <laughs> I managed to get about just about enough feeling in my left hand to be able to write a piece of music, learn my scales, all that kind of stuff, two weeks before my audition. Oh and my I goodness. somehow got in. Wow. Well, that's you, you know, having that forward thinking that we were talking about before. <laughs> so, yeah, something yeah. like that. I mean, I just, uh, I haven't ridden dirt bikes seriously since then, but um, I still ride, which is probably not the best idea. <laughs> you got to look after your hands, don't you? You got to look after your tools. So absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your answer to the wildcard question round. Adrenaline <laughs> junkie. George aka Confidential. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's been really enlightening hearing your story in terms of your musical journey, but also how that's related to your mental health journey as well, and also going ahead into the future. So where can people find out more about yourself and your work? 
Yeah, best place to find me is on Instagram. I'm at confidential underscore lofi. That's spelled um, L-O-F-I. And I am also on Facebook at confidential lofi. There's just no no underscore. And also, uh, if anybody fancies, uh, you can buy me a coffee on um on the platform called i want to say it's called kofi i never I never really know what it is i it's, have this problem every <laughs> single episode i don't know how to say that so i end up saying coffee <laughs> i think it's just coffee but yeah I, I just, because the way that you spell lo-fi l-o-f-i as in like confidential lo-fi you say lo-fi but you don't say ko-fi <laughs> yeah that, that's 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 why i make that kind of connection thinking oh is it pronounced ko-fi but uh, yeah it's uh ko hyphen fi.com forward slash confidential underscore lo-fi yeah you can buy me a coffee on there anybody who does that's not just it i can't just take people's donations and do nothing um you will get an exclusive link to some music that i'm working on at the moment or something that's unreleased that nobody would have heard before so uh, just as a little thank you for um for your donation brilliant well we'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes so that people can seek your work out but george once again thank you so much for joining me Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolute 100% pleasure to be here. And it's been great to talk with you, Davina. Thank you so much. That was George Wakeley, aka Confidential. Make sure to check out the show notes for details on where you can find his work. That's it for today. Special thanks to Ros Nagy for my logo and Daniel Elms for my jingle. Enormous thanks to George for being so generous in sharing his story. I hope that you found our chat interesting and it gave you something to think about or perhaps think about something from a different point of view. And that's what this podcast's always been about, right? (laughs) And of course, thank you for listening. Thank you for continuing to listen. I won't be able to release episodes as often as before, but they will still be coming. At least it's an opportunity to speak to non-string players once in a while. (laughs) You can head over to the Strad podcast if you want to hear more of me. But back to this podcast, if you like what you hear, you can support the podcast by buying me a coffee on my coffee page. The link is in the show notes. Get in touch at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com or on the website asitcomes.com, where you'll also find all previous episodes and transcripts of the podcast. You can also get in touch with me via Instagram and Facebook, where I highly recommend you give me a follow and a like at As It Comes Pod. Remember to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to those who've already done so. And thanks for continuing to spread the word. Chat to you soon and take good care. Bye. (music) Bye.